you get a lot of advice in the world, and some of it's not such good advice. I know. I'm the recipient of the same. I, I read about an evangelist who claimed he could repeat the miracle of Jesus, and so he told the churchgoers that he had a revelation that if he had enough faith that he could and they would be able to walk on water. And so this evangelist took his congregation to the beach and said he could walk across the what's called the Como Estuary, which is in Africa, uh, on the coast of Africa. And that, that estuary takes 20 minutes by boat to cross. He walked into the water, soon was over his head, and he never came back again. Not good advice. Not good advice. Bad thinking. Bad ideas everywhere. I also read about a man in Florida who was working on his car, and he needed a hole in his exhaust pipe, and he couldn't find a drill, so he thought, I'll just shoot a hole with my gun. <laughs> Not a good idea. He shot and received a bunch of metal in his body because of that bad bad advice. Thankfully, thankfully, God has some good advice. He's given us a tool that has miraculous advice, life-saving advice for doing life skillfully, for doing life winsomely, purposefully, beautifully. God has that advice. Not bad ideas. There are plenty of those. Only good ideas. This week, we're starting a series, uh, and it's going to take us through the major portion of this year, actually. It's, I've read that that's not the way to do series. Make them short and sweet, but this one's going to take us uh, the better portion of the year, and I've called it Fundamentals. Fundamentals. Bible certainties that inspire and bless, because that's what they are. There, there are truths in God's Word. God's Word is full of truths that inspire and bless us. And we're starting today with Scripture, the Bible. Because what you think about, the way you feel about the Bible, impacts everything in your life. Everything is redirected by how you feel about the Bible. And this one, this one is life transforming. Since our foundation as a church, we all have always affirmed the Bible and the Bible only as our only creed. We have no other, we have no written creed, only what the Bible says. And in our statement of beliefs, there are 28 foundational truths found in the Bible. And of those 28, the Bible Holy Scripture is first. And that will be our focus of our study today. And by the way, we're, that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to go through every one of the fundamental teachings of the Bible and see how they bless and inspire us in life. And this is what it says in, our, in the fundamental teachings of, uh, that we affirm as Seventh-day Adventists. The Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testament, are, writ are the written Word of God. Be careful. Watch every word. They are the written word of God given by divine inspiration. The inspired authors wrote 
and spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In this word, God has committed to humanity the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are the supreme, authoritative, and the infallible revelation of His will. They are the standard of character, the test of experience, the definitive revealer of doctrine, and the trustworthy record of God's acts in history. And I have to say to that, Amen. I am so glad that that is what our church stands on. By the way, there are there's a handout that some of you received in your bulletin. The deacons have those. They, I see them coming in now. That was maybe a statement of faith. But uh, they are going to have those, and they'll be walking up the aisles. Look at that. See, there it is right there. Kendall. And if you don't have one of these little sheets, these little um, uh, Bible, this insert, Raise your hand. I'd like everyone to have one, not just one per family. I'd like everyone to have one. And you will get one of these every Sabbath that we are talking about the, these fundamental teachings in, in the Bible. So as they're walking back, I'm just going to, you just raise your hand as you see the uh, Kendall or one of the other deacons passing by. So scripture is first in our fundamental list of, of Bible truths because scripture is foundational. Everything is built on this. Everything we know about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, everything we know, that He is Creator, that He is a loving Father to us, His created children, that He is wholly good, that He is wholly righteous, that He is wholly just, and He has no stain of evil or impurity, then that everything good comes from Him. All those things we know from Scripture. In the Bible, we learn the truth about who we are too. We learn the truth about our human condition, that we're fallen, that we're sinful from birth, we're corrupted and by nature. And in Scripture, we learn about this, the origin of evil and its devastating effect. And we learn about God's plan, God's plan to spare us, to save us, and His promise that He will judge evil and bring justice to earth. All these things and much, much more, they all come from Scripture about God's promise to us, our purpose individually, our purpose as a church collectively, our future hope, all of this, our destiny, all comes from the Bible. Some call the Bible God's love letter. I like that. His letter to us, His love letter. Others call it the God's handbook for life. God's handbook for life. Um, but unfortunately, some who should know better think it's only a story. But it's much, much more than a story. I read recently that there was an elderly woman who was feeling extremely ill, sick. And so before going to bed, she prayed. I read, she prayed, Dear Lord, you have said in your divine word that you would fulfill anything I ask in your name. And so I'm asking you that if it be your will, that you would make me whole again, that you would take this illness away. And then she said, thank you, God. In the morning, when the woman woke up, she felt completely whole and better again. And she, she thought, God has answered 
my prayer. And she, she thanked him and she went about her duties. And one of them was to go shopping. And on her way to the mart, she saw her pastor who was talking with a colleague. And she went up to her pastor and said, and she was happy to tell him that God had answered her prayer. And she shared with him what had happened. And the pastor listened to her story. But instead of celebrating with the woman, instead of praising God for what, had, what happened, her pastor advised her, Dear lady, don't you know that the text in Mark that you quoted and prayed is not genuine? Well, that comes from some people, some people in pastoral positions. In some, Would you call that bad advice? I call that bad advice. Because the Bible is reliable. The Bible is true. The Bible is factual. The Bible is authoritative. But the question is, is it important to us? Is it? Consider this. Consider what it says about itself. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed or inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Notice it says it is God-breathed. In other words, God divinely influenced and guided the human authors of Scripture. The Bible, has, it has been said, is the Word of God given in human terms in human history. It's God's message. It's God's message to us. And it has eternal relevance. It speaks to all people at all time in every culture, in every generation, because it is the Word of God. And we must listen and, and obey. And then it goes on, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. The Holy Scriptures, again, are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. It's God-breathed, and notice these words, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. In and so it connects us with Jesus Christ. You see that? It connects us with Him and His salvation. It connects us with God's will, God's direction. It gives us enlightenment on, on our path in life, the Bible equips us and helps us spiritually and prepares us for whatever God has in store for us. And notice these few verses of the words in this verse. He says it, it the Bible teaches us. In other words, it shows us the path that we are to walk on. Then it says it rebukes us. And in other words, it shows us when we get off the path that God has given us. And it says it corrects us. It tells us how to get back on the right path and finally, it says, it trains us in righteousness. In other words, it trains us how to stay on the right path. That is what God's word does for us. The, the Bible is God's comprehensive guidebook for life. That was David's attitude. Notice in, in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, this is what David said. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. So, reading God's Word, not just occasionally, reading it daily, making a quiet time to begin our day, opening ourselves up to God's counsel, to God's direction. In this fast-paced, in this hurried environment, we need time to slow down. We need time to listen to our Creator God. D.L. Moody 
the great evangelist and Christian educator of a past generation used to say this, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. That's what it was given to us for. God gave us his word to change our characters more like him daily and to make us more like him by every experience in his word. Time in Bible study, time in prayer. If it doesn't change us to become more like Jesus, then we're not approaching it in the right way. Because that's what God gave it to do, to make us more in line with his purposes and the plans he has for us. As James, the brother of Jesus, said, we must not merely listen to the world, we must not merely be hearers of the word, but doers, doing what it says in James chapter 1, verse 22. You know, it's possible to know the word of God and not know the God of the word. It's possible. We can do that. I read of a preacher who once asked, was asked, what is the best translation of the Bible? And uh, in other words, he was, he was asked, what's the best version, Bible version? And uh, the preacher answered, the best translation is when you translate the word of God into your daily life. I like that, personally. That's the best translation of the Bible, when you translate it into your daily life. Well, then the man said, well, I have the living Bible. And he wasn't getting it, was it? He wasn't getting it. Um, and the, the preacher again replied, you ought to be a living Bible. <laughs> the word made flesh ought to be visible in your life. That's what I want to be. I want to be a living Bible. When I read God's word, I should be asking myself, what attitude do I need to change? What do I need to stop doing? What do I, do I need to start doing? What do I need to start believing? What do I need to stop believing? What relationships do I need to work on? What ministry would you have me do, God, for others? Those are the questions I should ask myself. The Bible is a living book. It's, it's alive and powerful to give us guidance and direction. Like it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse number 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let that verse sink in. The Bible is powerful, powerful to grow us, powerful to purify us, powerful to help us defeat sin, powerful to bring our thoughts and our lives into obedience to God. That's what God's word is. Uh, like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, For the weapons are of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. That's what we do as we read God's word. That's what his word does for us. But the Bible, we may like it, we may wish it were, but it's not just a series of commands. God in the Bible doesn't just say, uh, okay, here now, learn these truths, and then list off 7,777 of them. Like, you know, uh, there is no God but one, and I am him. 
I'm the creator of all things and, and creator of all human, humankind. That's, that, those things are true. But that's not the way God communicates. There are a few places where he gives us straight commands. But the Bible is, is much different than that. God chose to speak eternal truths within particular circumstances and events of human history. That makes it very challenging as we read the Bible. I like the description that Ellen White used of the Bible. This is what she said. The Bible is written by inspired men, but it is not God's mode of thought and expression. It is that of humanity. God, as a writer, is not represented. The writers of the Bible were God's, were God's penmen, not his pen. That's very important. It is not the words of the Bible that are inspired, but the men that were inspired. In other words, so thinking about that quote, God didn't take Moses' hand and, you know, direct writing, grabbing a hold of it and write the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God's word, God's will was expressed in the Bible, in vocabulary, in thought, in patterns but in patterns of thought and words of a particular people at a particular time. And therefore, it is conditioned and influenced by that culture of that time and by the circumstances of that time, which means that when we read the Word of God, we need to first of all understand what the Word said to the people then. And as we try to understand what the Word said to the people then, we learn to hear what God is saying to us now. Very important in Bible study that we approach it that way. The Bible, it has been said, is the Word of God given in human words in human history. And that itself should give us courage and hope because that means that God is going to speak into my life, into my times, into our age, into our history today. It speaks to all people of every age, of every culture, because it's the Word of God. So it behooves us to listen, to read, to study. A couple of years ago, there was a, some research conducted by LifeWay, and they surveyed a 1,000 people about their view of the Bible. Overall, they discovered that Americans have a positive view of the Bible, as you probably know. Half of Americans say it's a good source for morals. One-third of America's ca Americans call it life-changing, and one-third also call it true. Almost, however, I have to say, almost 9 out of 10 own a Bible. 9 out of 10 households own a Bible. Some house households have at least three, and some much more than that, but only one in five Americans have read it once. It's esteemed, but not read. And more than half of Americans have read little or none of it. And less than one quarter of those who have read it, read it regularly or have a plan for reading it daily. So the question is, we like the Bible, but do we read the Bible? Some people question the, the Bible's reliability. Is it correct historically? Is it correct factually? Has there been 
errors that have been introduced? Does it represent uh, what really happened? Has it been preserved through time? There are many who, who have questioned the, the Bible's historical accuracy. But what's interesting to me, and I'll just, just in a brief sentence or two, modern archaeology has repeatedly confirmed, repeatedly confirmed that the Scripture's historical details are accurate over and over again. Modern skeptics, for example, just a couple examples. I could give you many of them. Modern skeptics doubted that Ur, the place where Abraham was from, even existed. They thought it was some type of a fable. Well, that was until um, archaeology uh, discovered um, uh, cities like Ur in Turkey. Also, skeptics said that... Um, then, uh, that, that some of the stories in the Bible were just fable. But what's interesting is that gravings in Egyptian tombs exactly match the biblical descriptions of, like, for example, when Joseph ascended to power in Egypt. The engravings exactly represent that. For years, there were a number of influential scholars who said that the Bible's words about the Hittite kingdom was just a fable. It didn't exist. That was until evidence was discovered that Hittite kingdom existed in, in northern Turkey. And there are hundreds of cune cuneiform tablets that say that. Um, also, it's interesting to me that uh, with the accrued study of the Bible up in our day, that there's no facts presented in the Old or New Testament that are shown to be false. Did you hear me? No facts presented in the Bible, Old and New Testament, have been shown to be false. In fact, there's even evidence that the miraculous happenings, and I've just been talking about historical things, but there's even evidence that miraculous incidents in the Bible occurred. For example, ancient Babylon records a description of the confusion of languages that's described at the Tower of Babel. That is recorded in Babylon. And also, ancient Babylonian writings and hundreds of other cultures, world cultures, describe a world flood. You probably know about that. There are many cultures that describe a world flood. So, so uh, the, the Bible is, is an amazing story, a, a book of, of God's truth, not a story at all. There's also a question about, well, how about the transmission of the Bible? I mean, the Bible is very ancient, extremely old. There's nothing like it really in the world. There are other ancient documents, but nothing like the Bible. And you probably know that there are no originals of the 66 books in the Bible. We don't have a single one of them. We only have copies of copies of copies in existence. But by surveying the copies that we do have, which are many, many times more than any other ancient document in existence, it's clearly demonstrated that the Bible manuscripts were, were very carefully copied. In fact, um, for comparison's sake, for example, there are 251 copies of the works of Julius Caesar. That's someone that we know in history. There are 251 copies of his works. The earliest we have of any of those copies is 950 years after he wrote. That's the earliest copy we have. Then here's another one. 
there are 109 copies of the works of an ancient historian by the name of Herodotus. Maybe you've heard of him. There are 109 copies. And the one that's oldest, the earliest one we have, is 1,400 years after he wrote. That's the that's earliest copy we have. Now compare that to the New Testament, just the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have over 5,000 manuscripts, over 5,000, with some of the earliest copies less than 100 years after, the first co after it was first written. The comparison is, is amazing. Um, as some people have wondered which translation is best, and I like the way one preacher said it, the best translation is when you translate the Word of God into your own life. That's really the best. When you translate it into, into your own life, the Bible is God's Word. It's a miraculous gift to us. Spiritual vitality, power, wisdom, purpose is there for us. Our goal in Bible study is not to gain information, but to know Jesus Christ and to become more like Him in our attitudes, in our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions, in our, in our values. The best attitude to have in Bible study, I heard someone say, the best attitude to have in Bible study is to be like Jacob, like, he, like his attitude when he wrestled with the angel and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That should be our attitude as we come to God in Bible study. Stay with it until God speaks to you. The question is, really, this morning, how important it is, to, is it to you? How important is Bible study to you? Have you ever, just for comparison, have you ever gone for a, a certain time without taking a bath? Maybe more than a day, maybe more than two days. Have you ever gone for a time without brushing your teeth? How do you get the feeling after a couple days? Stinky and sticky. I don't know how you feel, but that's how I feel. Stinky and sticky. Well, it's the same way in daily time with God. Daily time with God is refreshing. It's cleansing. It's empowering. It is enlivening. In daily devotions, we have a time to recalibrate. We have a, a time to assess ourselves and ask ourselves, am I growing? Am I growing more like Jesus? Have I allowed offensive ways to come into my life? And have I allowed sinful desires to pile up? Am I doing God's will and God's way? in my life? Those are questions we ask ourselves. God promises us that taking time with Him, that spending time in His Word will bring joy, will bring strength and, and peace and stability, but the question is, will I? And that's my challenge to you this morning. Will you? Will you set a time? I'm sure that many of you have and do it regularly, but I want to challenge you. I'm challenging all of us this morning. Will you take time every day not just sporadically, but every day. Have you set a time? What's the best time? Well, the best time is time when you're best, okay? Do it when you're at your best. Now, for a lot of people, that's early in the morning because God doesn't want you just to give him the leftovers, right? So do your devotions when you're at your best. Hudson Taylor, a great Bible uh, scholar and follower, disciple of Jesus, said, you don't tune up the instruments after the concert is over. <laughs> you 
And that's true in life, isn't it? Isn't it? You tune up before you start the day. Another great Christian, Stephen Olford, said this, I want to hear the voice of God before I hear anyone else's voice in the morning. And his voice is the last one I want to hear at night. Isn't that good? I want to hear God's voice first. I want to hear God's voice last. But whatever time you set, though, make sure you're consistent, okay? Not just happenstance. That means you'll have to schedule it. That means you'll have to make a date with Jesus. And then you'll need to look forward to it. Now, as I said, many of you, I'm sure, are already enjoying and being blessed by a time with God every day. You're being enriched by your appointment with Him. And my prayer is that your time with Him will be even more special and renewing. But some of you today may be at square one. Some of you may be there, okay? Some of you may never have found a time, a place, and an opportunity or taken it for guidance, strength, inspiration every day with God. Some of the rest of you may be in need of a little tune-up in that regard, okay? Maybe you've been sporadic, or maybe it hasn't been all that uh, beneficial to you. So I want to just give you some thoughts to consider this morning, okay? So first of all, how much time should you spend? Just be, being practical. How much time should you spend this time between you and God? Well, it doesn't really matter how much time. Right? What's most important is that you do spend time with him. And if you haven't, start with a little bit. Don't make it too big. Start with, I don't know, seven minutes, 15 minutes. But just start. Make a beginning. And then let it grow naturally. Let it grow as you spend time with him. Then choose a place. That's the second thing I'd like to say. Choose a place. Now, why is that important? Because you need to have a spot where you go to talk with God every day. Your spot, your time, your place with Him. Make a place. Make it sacred. Make it special. Make it your place with God, where you meet Him, the living God, every day. And then follow a simple plan, okay? Um, but make a plan. You've got to make a plan because, like someone said, if you, don't, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. Okay, so make a plan. So here's some suggestions that, that I've borrowed from others and found helpful. And you can remember this by seven words, okay? And so we'll, we'll put those on the screen. These seven words will help you remember how to establish this plan and how to go about it. First of all, relax, okay? Now, that, what does that mean? That means, first of all, as you start your quiet time, just take a moment. Take a moment. Don't run into God's presence. Think. Follow God's admonition where he says, be still and know that I am God. So just, first of all, relax. Be quiet for a few moments. Be reverent for a few moments. Humble, waiting, expectant. So that's first. Relax. Number two, request. Pray. Ask God. This is not your prayer time. The prayer time comes during and after your devotional time. But this is a time for you to ask God, God, I'm going to read your word, and I'm asking you to cleanse me, to speak to me, to guide me in this time together. You're asking him to, to open up your heart, to make you uh, pliable to his spirit. 
And there are some passages that are so appropriate, and I'm sure you know these, but remember them. Write them down. There's like this one that David said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. Make that your prayer as you start out. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Start with that prayer in the morning. Or this one in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So that's how you start. You start with that request that, that you would be aligned with God's word, with God's spirit. Before And that, that takes that before you, you begin to read his book. The next word is to read. So but by that, you just take a section of scripture, okay? Take a, a section, a chapter, a few verses. And this is where your conversation with God starts. And I'd like you to really think of it that way, as a conversation, because he brings to your mind words that are powerful for you in scripture. And read slowly. Don't be in a hurry. Don't race. If you've set out too many verses for your time, then just cut back and read. Read and do it lightly out loud. Why, why do I say out loud? Because when you say words out loud, and not loud enough for others to be bothered by it, but when you read out loud, your concentration and your understanding are engaged as you say it and, and look at it. And then read without stopping. In other words, don't be diverted by your cell phone or by a rabbit trail in the Bible. Allow God to speak to you. Feed on God's word. Get to know him better. And then, in this regard, do it systematically. Okay, don't just say, okay, what will I read today? And then drop your Bible open. Don't do it that way. Do it systematically. Read through a book of the Bible, then the next book, then the next book. Don't do this random dip kind of thing. Because if you read book after book, you will understand it better and you'll be stronger and, and you'll understand his word more completely. And then number four, the fourth and fifth words are reflect and remember. So in other words, as you read and as you're thinking and praying, then meditate on verses that come out to you that's, that stand out. Uh, and ruminate on those. Think about them. Pray about them. Memorize them if they're meaningful to you. And call them to mind. And then the next word is record. Have a little book there. Have a, a book that you have prayer requests. And also a spot where you can write down uh, something that you were impressed with. Why should you do that? Because when you record what you've discovered in God's word, it will help you to remember what you've learned. It will help you to remember and, and uh, what he's revealed to you. And, and, and it help you uh, to apply what you've learned. Then number six is have your time of prayer. This is the last R, which is request. After God has spoken to you in his word, speak to him. Speak to him in prayer. Seek him in prayer. And I just want to finish with a little uh, acrostic that's been helpful to me as I pray. And this is probably uh, news uh, to, to only a few of you because this is such a, a good way to pray. First of all, follow the acrostic prayer, P-R-A-Y. And so when you pray, don't just make it random. Don't just, don't just go immediately to your request. First of all, praise God. Praise God for his greatness, for his power, for his goodness, for his love, for his wisdom. Praise him. Um, 
And you can use one of the Psalms if you want to. Psalm 145 to 150 are beautiful praising sections. And also Revelation 4 and 5. Like, like David said in Psalm 145, I exalt you, O my God and King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I praise you. So think of, for example, think of 20 things that you can praise God for. Okay, make that a habit every day. Then the next part of prayer, you start with praise. Then you repent. In other words, you confess your sinfulness. You've been, the scripture has pointed out something to you in your daily devotions. Maybe it's the way that you've hurt others. Maybe it's some direction that you're going that's not right. Maybe it's some attitude of your heart. Maybe it's something you've been thinking that's not right. Repent of that. Say it specifically. Lift it up to God. Ask Him for forgiveness. That's R. Then A. This is where you ask for yourself and for others. You know, God loves you. God wants to bless you. wants to fill your life with good things. So ask Him. Ask him for help. Ask him for help on your math test. He wants to hear about that. Ask him for help managing your kids. He wants to help you with that. Ask him for help coping with your problems. Asking, asking, and then ask him for help for others. That's called intercession. Praying for other people, people who are sick, people who are giving themselves in ministry, gospel outreach workers, teachers, leaders. Ask for others. And then write them down. Keep a book. And watch what God does. Then finally, yield. Yield yourself to God's will. That's what you do, the last part of prayer. And you say something like this, uh, like, like David said, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. Yielding to him, a recommitment to God. You know, God longs to embrace us and to lead us and guide us. But my challenge to all of us here at Village Church <clears throat> is that we would, we would make this a commitment today. And I, that's why I gave you all of you a card. There's a spot for you to sign it. And I've noticed that this card is a bit small to read. Uh, so get out your magnifying glass when you go home, and we'll make sure it's a little bit larger in the future ones. <coughs> but if you're not here yet with a daily devotional, then I challenge you today. Um, make a commitment. I want you to make a commitment today, okay? I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to be despairing. I don't want you to feel judged. I don't want you to feel like, you know, you're no good because you're not doing, that's not at all. But, but just make a commitment to spend time with God every day. And be disciplined about it, okay? Be disciplined. And that starts the night before. <laughs> you got to go to bed on time in order to get up on time. Right? Make a resolution. Make a covenant today. And then don't worry if it's a little hard at the start, okay? Anything good is hard. Everything good is hard. They say it takes six weeks to, to, to establish a habit. Three weeks to get familiar with it. And three weeks to make it solid. So don't think that it's just going to happen tomorrow. Make a commitment. And know that this is going to be a spiritual battle. It's going to be a battle for your life because Satan does not want this to happen. He does not want, he, he will fight you tooth and nail from making this time to meet with God. He will make it horrible for you. He hates nothing more than Christians who get down to business with God. But I challenge you, 
village members. Let's get, let's get to business with God, huh? Let's commit ourselves to him. And, and be the kind of people that are going to be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness and powerful for God and his goodness. Ask God to strengthen you and depend upon him to help you. I'm going to have a little prayer with you, a prayer of commitment. And I want you, I'm asking you to make a commitment that every day you'll, you'll seek God in, in devotion time, reading his word every day. When I finish with this prayer, thank you for staying by as, as uh, uh, Prasavia has a beautiful song, the prayer for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we commit ourselves to you. Commit ourselves to spending definite time with you every day. And we're committing ourselves to this no matter the cost. It's going to cost. It'll cost time and effort, discipline, focus. But Lord, you deserve our devotion. You desire our worship. And I know that you will bless us, each one of us, as we depend upon your strength and call upon you and seek you daily in prayer and devotion. And we thank you for blessing us in Jesus' name. Amen.